Hello and welcome. Welcome to another edition of CPR's Clubhouse Live, the Unsung Series. Right now we're being joined by Stephanie Bennett. Stephanie, welcome to CPR's Clubhouse Live. How are you? Thank you. Thank you. I'm fine. Thank you. Look, uh, I want to talk about unsung freestyle heroes, right? And people that do not get their due. And what people don't understand is the fact that you were the poster woman for Tasmania Records when it was first released. And I always remember that. I know the reason why I went to the store and I purchased Tasmania. One, two, three, four, five. It's because uh, Tasmania had this little gimmick of sending your pictures uh, with the woman's <laughs> records and sending the compilations out. But, you know, they also wanted you to support the music and purchase it. So I would have the copies that it would send me to promo to keep in the studio, but then I would buy my own. And the bottom line is, is that Pure Pleasure was for the women and Stephanie Bennett was for the men. And it worked to, to T to the point where um, I got to see you perform one time. And I believe you were in Connecticut and uh, you were pregnant, but you were on stage. That was five months pregnant. Off and, and doing a great, a great job in performing. So we're, we're going to delve into all that. Um, but I want people to understand the importance of the power that you had launching or helping launch a label because you were the female lead. You were the 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 person that because back then everything was about marketing, right? Yeah. They would, market, they would market pure pleasure for the women, and they would market you for the men, and the men bought it, hook, line, and sinker. You know what I mean? It was just like that. So, Which was great, though. Like I have, I have actually probably more female followers than I do men. Yeah. You know, back then it was different, right? Back then we didn't have social media. True. Back then true. We didn't have um all these little uh, ways of communicating, so. So what right, would, I really wouldn't know the numbers to be honest. Yeah, that makes what sense. They would see, what they would see would be um uh, they would get a cardboard box with vinyl in it, right? They will open it up and then they see the picture of you, uh, uh the Stephanie Bennett uh, Bennett promo, and then um insert it now. Uh but uh the Stephanie Bennett promo and and it was you and you know your your figure and, and your face and they will send this out to all the DJs everybody's like oh you see the Stephanie Bennett promo oh see I didn't I didn't know how the packages went out you know yeah, I, man. and then, I and no then they would um they would go ahead and they would um they would play it they don't they didn't care what you sounded like they didn't care if the record was quality um you Love know, that. they would just play it um and and uh I'm not saying that it wasn't I'm just saying that because of sure. the look because back then it was all about marketing you know so I'm getting a little excited about it because I remember but I want to talk about this first before we get started. Um, I want to talk about Get It. Your current video is out right now on uh, YouTube and all the different uh, distributors for videos. I can't stop playing this song for some reason. I don't know why. I don't know if it's the, the hook. I don't know <laughs> if it's all, all the different pictures. I don't know if it's the cursing. I don't know if it's uh, the, the chance for alcohol. But I've watched this uh, over 100 times. Uh, so let me ask you about the Mexican American Latino influence. How did you implement that into your show and into your music? Whew, that's like a, it's a big question, but I'm going to try to just condense it into an answer of, um, I mean, if you specifically want to know about get it, like get it is really inspired by the DMX sample. Ironically, at the same time, get it was finished when DMX passed away when he did the get it on the floor, get get it on the floor, get it on the floor, right? So one of my producers in te Texas, Brian Cruz Bastrix, he'd sent me a beat two years ago and it was uh, this, uh, 
something for me to play around with. He's always sending me beats. Oh, play around with this. You know, I can write to his stuff in, in a minute. So I had this, we had this, uh, it was a D-Town Boogie style, D-Town for Dallas. So it was this new style called D-Town Boogie. And I'm like, that's hot. Cause it reminds me of like the Charlie Baltimore, that whole like, yes. you know, Jersey club. Like I was like, oh, this is interesting. You know, cause I was getting kind of sick and tired of the same old, same old. So I'm like, yeah, Bastrix, let's do it. So he sent me the music and I started playing around with it a little bit. And then it kind of got sidetracked. And uh, what did we do? I did Heart on the Run. And then we came back around to get it again. And I listened to it again. And I'm like, man, this would sound pretty cool if I sped up the hook. You know, because it was like kind of draggy. And it was draggy is not yeah. really my style. So I listened to the hook again because I was looking for a follow-up record. And I said to myself, I should just go get it on the floor. Get, get it on the floor. Get it on the floor. Get, get it on the floor. And I was like. I was like, nobody was around me. And I'm like, yo, that's hot. I'm like literally like celebrating with myself. And I thought that was hot. And then I'm like, I've always wanted to do, you know, like a Missy Elliott meets Sierra meets Kesha record, right? Always. Like I've been told that for the past 15, 20 years. You should do this. You should do that. And I'm like, all right, well, like, give me a producer. You're like, I don't know how to do that. You know, um, I'm good when I get a beat, you know, I'm not Anyway, that's a whole nother story. But anyway, so the Get It record came about from that. So it went from D-Town Boogie to like almost like this breakbeat style, you know, the vodka, tequila. I don't really even drink. I can drunk off one margarita. My my, yeah. my my 18-year-old daughter was in the car with me. I'm like, I'm like, Belle, help me. I have this song here. And I just had the instrumental. And she was in it. And she, I was like, vodka, tequila. She's like, mom, you don't even really drink, right? And I was like, all right. I was like, well, help me. So she helped me write the hook which i thought was cute because i was like okay cool like i got her and her friends like you know on board i'm gonna get them to do a dance to it they're gonna share it up it's gonna go TikTok dance you know so then when i so i had the hook first and it was really inspiration from the dmx hook um, and bastrix who sent me this d-town boogie style and uh so i i went and i i wrote the verses and I, i've been interested in uh doing like a spanglish type of a style forever and yes. not just because of going to Texas because believe it or not a lot of people don't speak Spanish in Texas right. uh, I had to find out the hard way by singing uh, never too late in Spanish one time and the whole crowd was they like I was doing uh, never too late and I was doing this part when it goes um you know when it goes now if I can look into right. your eyes I was like yeah si tu pudieras ver en mí. right this is when I was young like you know in the, right. and like I think it was 94 and the whole crowd was like <laughs> like they stopped singing with me. And I was like, oh, my God, like, what did I do? It was a really it was a really uh, good lesson for me in terms yes. of performing, like the assumption that I had, the ignorance that I had about the culture. And at that moment, I was like, wow, this is so interesting to me. I really need to dive in to the Mexican-American culture in Texas, who's been, in, you know, embracing me. So like the mid 90s and stuff, I started doing the research and, you know, how they came in from Mexico and speaking Spanish, they didn't want them to speak Spanish in the house. They wanted to Americanize. Yeah. So my ignorance to all that was, I, I learned really quick when the whole crowd stopped singing, I'm like, that was a nightmare. So I, I really took the time and every time I would go down there, I'd speak with more people, they would educate me. And I just got like, so I just fell in love with, with the culture. And I just liked that they didn't judge me. Um, they were like, Stephanie, we don't do that. We do this. We do that. I was like, well, can I wear like I would ask them, like, can I wear my dicky pants with it? Because I love the Cholo culture. If I'm not a Chicano, yeah. they're like, absolutely. 
there's no cultural appropriation here. They're like, if you feel like that was you in the 90s, you know, with the big earrings and, and go and drive it and listen to freestyle and hip hop, then yes, you can. And I was like, okay. So just over time, just going down there and spending time with them and really listening to them and finding out about the Mexican American culture, it, it's, it's been like a 20 year research project. Well, and it's and, and, so and interesting. It's a great thing that you implemented into your songs. Not only did you do it with Get It, but you also previously did it with Heart on the Run. And so when, when I saw that, you know, you're in front of the, the car and the way that you're dressed, it's, it's, a, it's interesting because of the fact that Texas has embraced you. Um, they've, they've always embraced you since the 90s. And now it's like you're there every weekend. Every time that I see you're always <laughs> in Texas uh, and you're doing a show there in Texas. And, you know, so I saw, I'm like, wait, I wonder where she got that from. Because that is a great, um, even though it's part of your, your performance now and it's part of yeah. for freestyle, it's like you brought the inspiration from Texas with you around the country. And even Brazil, interesting because of the fact that they embraced you, because of the fact that they they made you one of their own. So now, yeah, you they gave, gave me literally go. gave me permission, you know. And it's cool. And they're and you know they gave me permission as soon as I, as soon as I got like the permission, if you will. Like I was like, okay, this is cool. Like I I I finally like there was like in the beginning, you know, I was like I had you know the style coming out was like wear your boyfriend's jeans and your combat boots and your boyfriend's belt and you know the the flannel with the arms cut off, you know, and all of that. And I I did that for a while. Then I was like, okay, we then we start wearing the tight body suits, and I was okay. Mm -hmm. And then there was a whole point where like. I was like, I don't know who I am as an artist. Like, what's my brand, you know? Because I've always been like a fly girl into mm -hmm. hip hop, teaching hip hop. And instead of just sticking with that until I like sort of like had the Mexican American culture embrace me, I should have just stood with that. Like I was trying to like wear like, I want to say sexy clothes, but um, I was dressing in ways that like I thought like the legends were doing. Like, oh, let me wear the, um, you know, the whatever, the corset thing. Mm -hmm. and have the girls out and you right. know doing this and that and I did that and I was I it was okay you know nobody hated it but I would look back on my videos I'm like what are you doing like who are you I remember so, um, I remember when you went away and you came back and I saw you for the first time on social media and you performed um and I remember that um you know you were you were trying to do those things but what I remember the most is that your show was on point um the performance was on point the routine was on point it was you and two other dancers. And I, and then I automatically went on social media and said, this is how you present a show. You go up there and you perform and you have dancers and you, you give the audience a show. Um, and you've always been a dancer. You've always loved the, the arts. But um, when it comes to your routines, when it comes to everything that you do, um, you know, mixing it with the Mexican and Latin American culture, um, are you now where you want to be as an artist as as you put all these two worlds together at 100 percent, and i feel like it's a little late in the game but um i'm right where i want to be and it's, it's ironic because, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um i am and i feel like i feel like i'm right where i'm supposed to be and and i'm gonna I get teared up about it because it's not about like i don't mean to be cliche it's not about um you know, it's not about the results or the charts or the the sales. It really, for me, since day one, has 
always been about the journey, the climb. Like, like I've always found that to be the most um, interesting and uh, fun and challenging part of this. Like preparing for shows, rehearsing for shows, man, what am I going with my show tape? Like every time I had a show, I change my show tape, like a crazy person. And I remember Rob Federici, you know, my engineers like Stephanie, nobody knows <laughs> that you did a bomb that went boom, 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 smash. And then this <laughs> time you're going to do, and I'm like, well, we got to change it up. So I was like real mad <laughs> with that, but that was the fun part for me. And, and um, even rehearsing and, getting ready and doing your hair and your makeup and worrying about, Oh my God, if these dancers don't show up. Like, you know, everybody. Yeah, getting hurt, but, you and, know? and that was a, that was a big worry back in the day when we all, have to worry about time. social media, like are the dancers going to show? Right. Like are the dancers coming? Yeah. You know, there was, there was times when I, I'd have four or six dancers and there would be one or three. And yeah. I'm like, just freestyle the whole time then people, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so that part to me was exciting. Like getting, now getting on the plane and getting to the airport and, and get same thing. And the actual time when I'm on stage, it's like, I don't think about it. The, like my natural, whatever it is that I have, mm -hmm. it just kicks in. And it's like, it's just like time stops. It literally stops. And I think for most people, it's the opposite. You know, where they may worry about like, oh, my God, how big is the stage? Am I going to fall off the stage? Is the microphone going to work? Are there monitors? Are the people going to look at me? Am I going to get booed? Um, I never worry about that. I don't know why. I think, I I think, if, you, uh, I think if you fall off the stage, you just get up and continue the routine. I would just start breakdancing or something, mm -hmm. which I, I did wanna, try to do recently, but I couldn't get up. So <laughs> I'm going to show you a picture. Uh oh. Um, and I want you to tell me, we're going to go back in time right now, but what I'm showing right now is the 12-inch record of Don't Let Me Go, uh, uh -oh. Stephanie Bennett, 12-inch record. And this is 1993. Uh, so we're going to go back in time, and we're going to talk about why you are an unsung hero in freestyle, because you helped carry the torch for Tasmania Records. You were the first female artist after Yanda, who they put out Yanda, but we never saw Yanda. We never got to meet Yanda. We, I, I, I knew nothing of Yanda. All I remember is the, the, the head female on Tasmania is Stephanie Bennett. And that's because the promo packages have your pictures in it, your 12-inch records in it. Um, every time that I would go uh, in, in anywhere in New England that played freestyle, it was Stephanie Bennett, pure pleasure, pure pleasure, Stephanie Bennett. So how did it feel to launch this label? Tasmania records. I mean, as it was happening, I was just, I was just cocky. I was like, Oh, I'm so cool. I have like a Tasmania jacket and Tasmania backpack. Yeah. And I was like, you know, my songs is shit. Like <laughs> I didn't know, like, I didn't know it wasn't like that, that it wasn't great. You know, I was like, Oh, this is great. You know, like, I didn't know, like it could have been better in a bunch of ways until later on in life. But at the time I just was doing what, what I wanted to do. I wasn't like, trying to um, really do anything, if that makes sense. Um, so at the time, it, it, I just I just felt, I just felt like I was where I was supposed to be, that's all. And I felt like I was, I had this record um, and I had a cassette tape and I was giving my cassette tapes out. And then finally, and finally when the vinyl came out, which was two years after I recorded the song, yes, it was, it was just like, I literally looked at it, I was like, Oh, like I made it, you know, like <laughs> yeah, vital vital was a big deal back then because the promo yeah. packages you would get back then in 93 wasn't CD, 
the CD era had not begun. Exactly. The, the era of cassettes and 12-inch records was what uh, was the bread and butter of music. And then receiving a 12-inch receiving record from Tasmania, I'm like, what is this? And again, it's that Philly style, it's that New Jersey style freestyle, which is different from any other freestyle. And and um, it's just uh, at that time, we we were um, not playing, um, you know, new freestyle because there was none. Right. I, always, I always give credit for Tasmania bringing freestyle back, but I also give them credit for killing it. But sure. And, and, and so when they brought it back with this type of style, it was embraced immediately by Connecticut, Massachusetts, New England. Um, you know, you know, what's interesting about it was that I think with us, like we, we grew up in a roller skating era, all the yeah. Tasmanian people, they played like, you know, the, the clear and the jive rhythm tracks and all those kind of breakbeat stuff. We would go roller skating all the time and, and like, you know, 11, 12, 13 years old. And I know right. when we, we went to the studio to start recording with Tasmania, like Mike Ferrola would literally bring his turntables and we call him a bag of tricks. It was this black bag and he had DJ records in it and he would bring the turntable and he would just sync them up. And I'm like, what are you doing? And like, you know, this is when we start work till never too late and we use the clear sample. And I think that what we did in Jersey and Philly was we had really had Mike Ferrolo, who was an actual DJ, club DJ, right. um, be part of the team. And he kind of brought that sample element into the productions. You know, Rob Federici at the time was just kind of doing whatever we asked him to do. Hey, play this, play that. And Anthony Pons was more of the keyboard guy. Right. But Mike Ferrolo would come in with this bag and I'm like, what's in the bag, bro? Back then, uh, we would go to places like the Music Center, Mr. Musica, May Music, and we would look for specific records to spin or to speed up or to use the brakes on so we can yep. do it at house parties or in the production room. But let me rewind just a little bit more. Okay. And how did you get involved in freestyle? How did you how did your love for freestyle start? Oh, God. Like, I, I has to, it has to have started in the, by going roller skating. Literally, roller skating in, like, 88, eight, it's mm -hmm. 87, 88, 89. You're listening to like Stevie B, Lisa, Lisa, all the breakbeats. So I'm like addicted to breakbeats, I think. Um, so I would go roller skating. Then we had clubs. I was 13. We were going to clubs at 13 on Sundays. It was like, you know, teen night. And so I would go to these clubs like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, beg to go on a Sunday. You know, oh, it's a school night. Beg to go on a Sunday. And the DJs there were playing all the same stuff we would hear at the roller skating ring. Mm -hmm. So we took it like from the roller skating ring into the club dancing and singing the, the cover girls i did a um i was 15 i won a lip sync contest to um the cover girls because of you right. and i won a bicycle which ironically got stolen the same night in my backyard <laughs> but the same person i gave it to you took it back probably um I so guess. i won this lip sync contest right i always dance i was always out battling people dancing and stuff and and i always sang um you know in middle school and you know college and stuff like that and i mean sorry high school and the choirs and stuff but at this one club when i i would always there was a dj mike wills so he was a dj at this club called walk and roll so it was a chinese restaurant during the day and at nighttime it was a club so it was called walk and roll so right. We would go there, whatever. We would sing, dance, battle each other. And every time Debbie Gibson came on, I was like, I need the microphone. He would give me the microphone. And I was literally screaming only in my dreams. Like, it was out of my key. He's like, you don't sound too bad. I was like, okay, thanks. He's like, I know a guy that could record you. And it ended up, he introduced me to Adam Morano. And I was 18 years old. So this guy, Mike Wills, from this teen dance club, who I would, I would torture him. Ah, oh, Debbie Gibson, play Debbie Gibson. 
So anyway, eventually I met Adam Morano and Rob Federici. Um, and we were all from the same town. We all lived in South Jersey, like Pensacola and Sherry Hill area. So it was convenient. I met him and uh, at the studio and he's like, what do you got? I'm like, I don't have anything yet. He's like, well, go write a song, you know? So I was like, okay, write a song. Okay, that's easy. So I didn't, I, <laughs> I had a, a tape recorder and I would play Planet Rock over and over again. And I made the song up called um, uh, Forever In My Heart. I was trying to be right. like Troy Guy. I know. I was like, forever in my heart, forever yeah. in my heart. I, I, I thought it was the greatest thing, right? So yeah. I, have it, I recorded my voice on this little tape deck. I took it to Adam back to the studio. He's like, that sucks. I was like, okay. I was like crying. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, right? So he's like, go write another song. I write, don't let me go. Mm -hmm. I bring it back. He was like, that's a hit. I was like, Okay. That's cool. So, so, so Adam and Rob Federici did all the music and I sang and it was my first time ever recording in a studio setting. I was, it was, I was horrified. Um, it's really different. Some people say that Stephanie, you sound way better live than you do on your records. It's a whole nother vibe and uh, people that sing know like what I'm talking about. Um, it's definitely a, di a different vibe. Um, so anyway, we did Don't Let Me Go. But at this time I was, I started college. I was a freshman in college. And it took forever to finish. Like the vocals were done, you know, um, the music was done, but it wasn't mixed and mastered. And I kept, I had to come up with my own money, which was like $2,500, which is a lot when you're a college student. Yes. Yeah, so I came up with the money and I paid the balance. And then I'm like, yo, my song's not done. I just kept harassing him. But at the time he was doing the uh, TPE stuff. Mm -hmm. So I would come home from summers on my college while I'm waiting for my record to be mastered. And he was like, uh, and I started dancing for him as a dancer. So right. I danced for him as TPE, like forever in a day. And then came you and all that stuff. Right. And I was like, finish my song. Cause then I could like open up for him and then dance. He's like, that's a great idea. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. So, so finally, don't let me go was, was mastered and done in 1993. And um, he wanted it to be, uh, he wanted to put out on Viper because he just started the collage album right. and it was Viper number one was on its, way to start being produced and i was like okay that's great and again i had to wait another six seven eight months you know and at this point i had my cassette tape it was mastered and i we had this old dubbing tape machine in the studio where you could put one the master tape in and then hit dub and you would record like 30 30 cassettes at a time i'd go to disc makers and i'm like can i get a hundred a box of a hundred you know, cassette tapes. So I would dub, don't let me go. I took my picture with my hat on the back, right? With my bangs out of the hole. because I thought I was TLC. And I took that picture and I photocopied and then I cut out and I put inserts in the cassette tapes. And I just started going all around town. Like even though I was a full-time student at college, I'd come home on the weekends because mm -hmm. I was only 45 minutes away. Um, and I'd come home on the summers and I'd go to all these clubs where like Coro, Judy Torres, Cynthia, you know, everybody would be. And I would go to the DJ and a lot of times be people from Q102 in Philly. And I'm like, I, I was like, I want to open up. And they're like, okay. You know, and I have my dancers there. We're ready. We're dressed. And they're like, like now? And I'm like, yeah, like now. <laughs> and I'm like, and I just give them the cassette tape. I'm sure it sounded like shit. And I was like singing over the song, you know, but we were dancing. So um, that just eventually, I kept doing that for a while while I was waiting for, you know, uh, for Adam and Viper to don't let me go out. And then I met Mike and Anthony at a, a Georgia Lamont show in my hometown. 
they were there and they came up to me and they said, what are you doing with this song? We love it. We're starting a label. We want to put it out. And I, I was like, let's do it. I had already been waiting more than two years. Right. And that's how I started with Tasmania. So they took Don't Let Me Go. Adam wasn't happy about it, but he didn't own the masters. It was, it was my record. Is your record. Yeah. They made him sign off on it. He wanted to like kill them all at the time because they were, he was like, don't make me sign anything. Like I'm Adam. <laughs> so yeah, they made him sign something, even though I owned the masters and then, they don't, um, Tasmania took Don't Let Me Go. And they did, they re, they did like four or five mixes, I think, and then put enough out to eventually do the vinyl. So when the vinyl came, I was excited. Like just, I just, I was just like, okay, what is this? Like, what do I do now? You know, I think I was more excited about my cassette tapes, honestly, yeah. than the vinyl. Cause you know, I'm not a DJ. So mm -hmm. I'm like, this is okay. This is cool. But, um, so anyway, I used to throw cassette tapes out at the, in the crowd and hit people in the head by accident. I mean, the whole thing was just a giant mess, but, yeah, but there was no, there was no liability back then. Yeah, there was no, there was no liability back then. You could Nothing like literally boinking things off people's foreheads, like yeah. And but, then the, then it would fall and break into five pieces because it was a piece yes. of shit plastic, and everybody would like dog pile mm -hmm. in the middle of the dance floor to get the shitty cassette tape. Yeah. <laughs> but but you were you were the person you were the female um that launched Tasmania. So that's um, how that I got there, if you will. And then yeah. just never too late, dreams of you, right. I should have known, swing my way. And it just went on and on from there. So you had a you had a, a great repertoire. You had Don't Let Me Go in 1993, uh, Never Too Late, 1994. Um, also, um, 1995, you had two songs, I'll Never Forget You, Swing My Way. Um, also in 1994, you had two records. You had uh, I Should Have Known and Never Too Late. Um, so you knew that you were the front person uh, for Tasmania, did that create any conflicts? Because Tasmania, Tasmania, not only did they 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 put out you, but they put out a ton of different talent. Yeah. Uh, when, you see, when you see the Tasmania logo and the first compilation, and you see 14, 15 people in there, what was your thought? It didn't bother me at all because honestly, I was at, at me opening up for all those. I just called legends, whatever. Um, when I first, before Tasmania was even created, I had relationships with their managers. I had my right. Coros manager, Sal Bonaventura. He picked me up to manage me. I had opportunity to meet Carlos Barrios in 1991. So right. I had, I was like, I'm, I'm good. Like I didn't feel any type of way. I was like, I got my, my, I, I'm doing shows. I've got dancers. I'm getting yes. booked. You know, I wasn't worried about it. You know, I was, I'm coming back and forth from Texas and, I'm like, this is great. And no one else was really doing what I was doing, like in terms of uh, being out there, if you will. You know, um, they were, you know, maybe more talented, better songs, whatever it was. But like uh, we had we used to have these weird Tasmanian meetings. I don't know if Mike, Mike Astorga told you. And they would be in the basement. They would be in the basement of Mike Frollo's mom's house. And they, they would be like, we would have these meetings and they would yell at everybody like, you guys, you need to do what Stephanie is doing. Right. Because I was like, don't be mad at me, bro. Like, <laughs> I live for this shit. Like, I love, you know, doing dance routines and making finding dancers. Like, you know, I've always I love doing that. Like I told you early in the interview, like that to me is the fun part, you know, fine. And they, they would literally yell at everybody. You need to be more like Stephanie. I'm like, no, like I'm thinking like, no, just leave me alone. Like, leave me so, out of this. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of Tasmania, they were they had a distribution deal through Hot Productions. Um mm -hmm for the first uh, four volumes of the Tasmania compilations. And you were at the forefront still, like um, from Tasmania one through four, it was Don't Let Me Go, Never Too Late, I'll Never Forget You, uh, Swing My Way, I Should Have Known. Um, 
you know, Swim My Way at the time was my favorite, right? Um, and then they put out an EP, an EP on you, um, the yeah. Swim My Way EP with with the with the hair do thingy. The bangs. Everybody said I look like Connie from uh well, oh, from yeah. she was from the West Coast. I was like, no, she looks like me. I don't look like her. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so what at that time were you being uh, compensated for all the work that you had put into with the 12 inch records with with uh the songs with with selling products with my writing royalties yes uh the only thing i mean i was compensated for my shows uh but from the from tasmania no uh i got a royalty check from bmi for right. six dollars and 94 cents i still have it was it in it was a yellow check Yes, from, but, but was it redacted? You know, they redacted, they, they black out a lot of the information, you know? Well, no, the check was directly from BMI to oh, me okay. yes. for, for uh, radio play for Never Too Late. Right. So that was my first actual compensation as a songwriter. As an artist, um, yeah, they did. I, I got statements with everything blacked out saying, mm -hmm. okay, you sold 50,000 units of Don't Let Me Go. You owe 2,500 for artwork, 1,500 for promotions blah 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 for this um uh you know a thousand for promotional stuff and then at the bottom it was zero all the time and i didn't not that i didn't care um a lot of us you'll hear a lot of artists say from back then we didn't really know yes. um we just wanted our records out i i really loved performing i i was like and i loved um especially when i went to texas in 1993 forget about it like you couldn't tell me nothing like i was like you can keep your stupid royalty statements and your little black like i was going there and i was hitting it hard you know i was you know for me back then i'm making like 12 1500 a show like mm -hmm. that was good like so i was like i got this you could keep your bullshit then i started reading more about it because we really didn't have google and all that stuff mm -hmm. and and I, and I started, I did still have, I think I'm the only Tasmanian artist that still has a copy of their artist contract. So we were, the contract says you get nine cents per copy, nine cents. Um, so you do the math, you know, 50,000 times nine cents. I don't know what it is. Not a lot. And then with all the like, you want to do it real quick? <laughs> I'm <gonna> try. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> okay. What is it? It's about $4,500 still. That, okay, yeah. so $4,500. That would have been a nice little check for a 21-year-old yeah. who's, you know, in the third year of college. Yeah. That would have been a great check. So then you would see that, whatever it was, then minus, you know, promotions, artwork, yeah, whatever. I've, I've seen a couple of Tasmania or hot production uh, uh, royalty checks. You know, like they send hot, hot production sends Tasmania check. Tasmania sends you guys a check. And it's just like, boo, blackout, you know. You don't even get a check. There's just a statement. There's no check. Yeah. But for me, like I said, I'm not that I wasn't worried about that. I was, I had all my writing royalties like with them. I caught when I wrote all my songs, I wrote all my songs. So I would copyright them. I type them on a typewriter. I'd mail them out to the library of Congress with a little form. And then I would mail a copy to myself and have the, um, the, you know, the poor man's copyright mail it to myself. And I did that every time I wrote a song before I sang it to Mike and Anthony, and then they would make the music around it. And they knew that. So if you look Stephanie Bennett up on uh, BMI or I mean ASCAP and stuff, like the writing royalties were like 50-50. They oh I always split everything with them. And then as I started to learn more, I was like, no, 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 no. Like, no. <laughs> you can have 25%. Like I actually started to learn more about the business. I was able to negotiate. Um so but it was 
they they weren't like greedy like that. I think it was I think it was Hot wanted them to have certain uh, contracts with all the artists to make it easier for Hot. Just to mm-hmm. Hot would send Taz a lump sum of money, let's say ten grand, and mm-hmm. say here's ten grand. We want compilation. We want volume six. And that, that's what it was. They would call us up. You got a song. You got a song. We'd be in the studio. And then they, that's when I think you said it was the rise and fall um, yes. when those lump sum checks started to come in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I think that's what, like you said, was the rise and fall. So we, um, the rise, the rise was great. By one through four were great. Um, the fall was the issue for me um, when they moved over to Metropolitan Distribution, um, because then everything changed. The names yeah. changed. Uh, you were put on the back burner in in my. I was. They were like, um, we, we had enough of Stephanie Bennett. It's like you had enough of me. I'm running around the country doing all kinds of stuff promoting right. your label, like. I guess they just, well, I don't know. I guess they got sick and tired of me, but. But you build, you build the label from, from 1993 to when they moved over uh, in 96. Um, yeah. you, built, you built the label. Um, you, they put out 12-inch records. They put out EPs. Um, you were touring. I saw you in Connecticut, again, pregnant, dancing. Um, you know, you killed it. Uh, I went there specifically to see you. Um, I got, I got, I caught the end of it. I didn't dare talk to you because to me, you know, even though I was on the radio and I, I had started, I thought, oh, my God, there's a star, Stephanie Bennett. And again, <laughs> is that condition that Tasmania and Hot had where yeah. the records that will send you the, the, the pictures? I think I still have one. And That's I, funny. I, I, I talk to everybody like I yeah. I literally tell anybody today, like I do these shows like, you know, with some of the higher tier artists and stuff. Like I was with I don't know if it was Trinier or somebody or DJ Laz. I'm like, where are you going? Right. Because I was yeah. like, I'm going out in the crowd. I'm going to break dance or whatever, like make a circle. But, you know, but back like, then it was different because, again, um, we saw we saw we didn't get a lot of information and we didn't have all the information. Right. We, we thought you were stars. And, you know, I saw Bobby you know? Delante, <laughs> I saw Bobby Delante lip syncing to, to Information Society's uh, um, running, you know, making pretend oh. part of the group. Um, I saw Pure Pleasure. And I'm, I'm just in awe. You know, I, I yeah. just started my, my radio show uh, about a year now. And I wanted to, like, talk to you guys, but I didn't dare, you know, but. The, the bottom line is, I did see you perform. I, I, you still were dancing with the belly and everything. You didn't care. Uh, you, the routine was on point. Your makeup was on point. Everything was good. Okay. Uh, and so nice. when we talk about when we talk about that, that you having that center stage and being the one to launch this label, and then they start putting you in the back burner um, when you get to the metropolitan distribution, what happened there? Why did they, what did they just... Change your name. What was it that they changed oh, it into? Original, original sin. sin. Original sin. Yeah. I don't mean, So what I did was when they started, like they started, they put me to the back burner because I was used to them. Steph, we need a song. We need a song. Ba ba ba. And I'm in there writing, and I've written way more songs than they put out. And I'm just like, no, right. we don't need that many, you know. So I started, um, I started really getting, uh, liking the process of the studio recording, and and actually started to become a decent producer through sitting through all these sessions. And, you know, I started to bring my own samples, uh, the sample for don't let me go and the breakbeat, that techno break, that's mine. I brought it in from my 12 inch. I have crates. So I've always had like an interest. I play a little piano. I come from my mom and dad are very musical. Um, my dad's past, but, um, my brother plays drums and stuff like that. So I really, I always got kind of like a little bit of ear for that. And then being in the studio like that. So I started, 
I said, oh, you guys, you don't need me for volume seven now. Oh, okay. You don't need me anymore. You know, I did feel some type of way, but it didn't stop me. I was like, I called up the polygon. I was like, I need studio time. He's like, for who you were me. Okay. So I went in with Rob Federici. We had all these um, studio sessions where it was just me and him and it would go for hours and hours. It was very calm. It wasn't rushed. Like before it would be like, and I understand they had a budget and they were on a time frame. Like I would sing a verse and I'm like, I'm not, and they would record it. And I'm like, we're not going to record you. Let's do run throughs. And a run through to them is a take. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That doesn't sound good. Oh, no worry. We'll fix it on our end. I'm like, whatever. So this going in the studio on my own dime with Rob and not having, you know, anybody around and rushing us, it was really nice. I really actually learned how to like breathe properly and get into a sort of a headspace with singing and and rob would sit there and he would say okay play this and i would start playing some of my own parts and it was really cool and then that's when in 97 i recorded uh take me higher with rob i wrote it me and rob produced it uh crazy mm-hmm. uh, i was again i always was trying to do something different and I always felt i had to pull back and go back into the traditional freestyle sound uh crazy and then the song angelo because uh, yes. you know my influence with being on tour with collage I was on tour with collage as an opening act and then a right. background dancer um you know he was doing songs like Susanna Diana and I was like okay well what about Stephanie but I guess yeah. that doesn't sound good but um so I was like okay there is no um you know trying to think out of the box there's no freestyle songs with um, a guy's name that I could think of or find, you know, th- like, again, it wasn't really a lot of internet access then. And, uh, and hearing Adam do these songs, I was like, well, I'm going to do a song with a guy's name. So I knew it had to be three syllables and end in a vowel. And I made all these weird names like Alfredo. And Alfredo. I don't even know. It was so crazy. And then all of a sudden I just came up with Angelo. And at the time, you're right. The guy that I'm dating who I ended up marrying John, his name was John. Is nothing close to Angelo. He was like, we were, we were such a, a we were a great couple. Uh, we're divorced now um, for the past eight years, but um, I think we were, we were just we're supposed to be friends. But right. nothing to take away from the two beautiful girls that we brought into the world. But he didn't even say who's Angelo. He was like, oh, that's tough, you know. Like he knew me. He just he knew me since I was eighteen. You know, at this point. You know, I'm what I don't know how old in my late twenties, yeah. and uh, so I had everybody else like, "Who's Angelo?" Like, like starting gossip. I'm like, yeah. it's nobody. I didn't even know anybody named Angelo. So anyway, I did Angelo, and I thought that was kind of cool. And um, so then those three records, "Take Me Higher," "Crazy Angelo," me and Rob Federici did, and I had a lot to do with producing. Like, um, even with Angelo, I took the sample, ding 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 ding, the 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 TKA, ding ding. I started to, and that's how I always kind of started out, even producing. Early on, I just love the break beats. I love sampling. You hear it even in a lot of my stuff still today. Um, so anyway, they were like, oh, we heard you and Rob were working on a song. I'm like, yeah, and? And they're like, well, we want to put it on the compilation. So I'm thinking, I really didn't have an outlet. Right. Oh, and Fall In. I did Fall In. Yes. I think I'm falling for you. I was inspired by Raquel's song. da 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 mm-hmm. I fell in. And that was, that, that. that was the point that I was trying to make. The yeah, that was, that. I started to, like, get inspired by what she was doing because mm-hmm. I was a backup singer and dancer for her in 97. Yes. And I was like, wow, that's a great record. So I wrote Fallen mm-hmm. inspired by Raquel's I Fell in Love. And yes. so I had to, sorry, I had four records and Tasmania is like, well, well, we'll put them on our compilation. But then I was like, I was like, okay, what, I, what am I going to do? Just hoard them for myself. I really had no outlet. 
right? And that was a time where people would invest in, in their projects and they would spend this money at Federici's or wherever yep. they were producing it, but they didn't have an outlet like now. No outlet. Where and, we got, there was and, no Spotify. And, and you, you must have paid a couple thousand bucks, but now you're just giving it back to the people that put you in the back burner. Exactly. So instead of being one, two, three, four, or five, that's why, you know, some I was like number 11, 13, mm -hmm. 14, but not for nothing. I think Fallen, I think that was a really good record. Like, I don't know. I think like, I don't know if it was Metropolitan or Tasmania, or they were just like, hey, we're trying to find somebody else, you know, to be whatever the, the, the lead. I don't know what it was, but I gave them the four records. They gave me, you know, I, I had... 100% writing royalties, and we split publishing 50-50. Right. I didn't really make anything from it because it was just on the compilations. Right. So okay. what – so go ahead. Uh, no, I wanted to know, you know, it, it looks like um, you're doing you're doing what you need to do. You're, the efforts are there. How did you how did you part ways with Tasmania, even though we already knew that the writing was on the wall because, you know, once the quality diminished for the compilations mm -hmm. and we had 20 different versions of rhythm-centrics, you don't have to worry. Yeah. Um, uh, we knew it's like what's going on with this label. Um, how did you part ways with Tasmania? I just my my I we just stopped. I just stopped recording for. Them. They stopped calling me and they stopped asking for songs and I stopped asking them if they needed songs and it was all good. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that was really like. But see, for me, I had the I had my outlet for me was recording with Rob privately, which was great, and learning and him taking the time to record with me but like i said at that time i was on tour with collage and raquel and right. then remember they started doing duets and stuff together yes so i had a double gig they were trying to pay me one time i was like no 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 people there are two artists here i can pay twice okay so i was doing that and then i would and then i would that was actually um a nice breather for me because i was able to go to all these places where they were going you know because they had yes. hits which equates to radio playing your music 50 to 60 times per week, I guess. And it was cool because I got to go to California, even Nebraska, right. Connecticut, I mean, I mean sorry, to, um, Canada, Miami, places I hadn't really been on my own mm -hmm. as just Stephanie Bennett. And I would go there and that was like fulfilling for me because I, they were like, okay, Stephanie, like, you can do like six minutes, okay? And then you gotta go get in your dancing outfit yeah. and it was nice because i still was trying to keep you know stephanie bennett alive through them um you know it was it was a big um sacrifice though because at the time you know my, i have a two-year-old daughter at this point um just getting out of college mm -hmm. i'm at the time single parent considered a single parent can't have a job where you can you know oh i need to take off on thursday and i won't be right. back till monday like no. So there was a lot of sacrifices monetarily, you know, like mm -hmm. I had my college degree. I could have been in like I wanted to do like um, the hospital administration and things right. like that. And every job I try to get, I, I would quit or get fired because Adam and Raquel would be like, we got to leave Thursday night. And right. I'm like, Fuck, I'm going. <laughs> so like there was a lot of sacrifice in terms of like not being able to hold down a real job and have health insurance. So it was very challenging financially. And that's why I get upset a lot of times because some people don't realize the sacrifice. Like, And that's you know, the whole point of this episode of Unsung because yeah. we, I want to make sure people know uh, Stephanie Bennett, her sacrifices and what she's meant to our community. I, I, I label you as generation number three. Uh, we have okay. the first generation. I don't know if I was three or four. Yeah, you know, generation three. Uh, generation one was CVB and TKA. Mm -hmm. Generation two was the, the Lisette Melendez's, uh, the Corina Temptations, and then yeah. the Tasmania era. 
But also when uh, Generation 4 came around, you you were there. Um, there was a lot of experimenting with freestyle. Uh, they yeah. Had, they had traditional freestyle. They had the, the Viper 7 style, the Tasmanian yeah. style of freestyle. And then there was progressive freestyle where, where you would hear Capri's, There Goes Your Heart. Um, oh, my God. I have a story about that. Yeah. And, and, and also we had, in my opinion, the greatest progressive freestyle song of all time, which is a paradigm featuring Stephanie Bennett, which which I, I have various copies of this uh, song. If you've never heard this song, you're missing out on what is probably the greatest recording from progressive freestyle of all time. Um, and I, I wanted to know about your involvement in it and how you got to it, because you already had carved a path for yourself and, and you had parted ways with Tasmania. Yeah, I did. It was, it was yourself. Yeah, they weren't doing anything. So uh, th this is actually something I'm really proud of. Um, and like a lot of people would call it, I mean, myself, paradigm. I didn't even know what paradigm was. Um, yeah. So I had to research it. But there was a there was a, a man named Mike Fiscaro. Yeah. And he had a store in South Jersey called The Music Factory. And I would, when Tasmania stopped really recording, I was recording still. And I would press up my, you know, fall in and take me higher. I was trying to do trip hop. Yes. You know, bear, 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 all that kind of mm -hmm. like squelchy. And I was like, okay, I wanted something, right? And so I would print up my own CDs. You know, at this point, we went, now we had a CD burner, which was really cool. Mm -hmm. And I'd make my own covers again. And I would take them to the music factory. And he would, Mike Fiscaro would put them up on the shelf and he would sell them consignment. And he always like, we do, I did a show at his parking lot, like whatever, I'm, I'm down, like, let's go, you know? So yeah. Mike Fiscaro was always kind of like a, a, a silent cheerleader for me, if you mm -hmm. will. Um, and I remember he's like, wow, you're still doing music. I'm like, yeah, like I can't stop. Like I have, I, I don't, I just can't stop. I don't know what to tell you, you know, like I get frustrated with music business and you know, the sacrifices mm -hmm. and the, the, the lack of reciprocation. And things like that, but I just I can't stop. It's almost it's almost like an addiction. It's weird, but he kind of understood that with me. And um, even when the early Taz days, when we had records down there, I'm like, how many did you sell? Like he would tell me, be like, oh, we sold five. You know, and he taught me about SoundScan and mm -hmm. just a lot of different things I learned. Uh, so he was a really cool friend. And um, so when Tasmania stopped recording, and he saw that I kept recording, and I asked him to hold my CDs in there, and I think he. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what he thought, but what he did was um, he also had a reputation, um, a relationship with the Paradigm people, Brooklyn Sound Machine, which was um, D and Robert Monk, and D Roberts and Peter Monk. I'm sorry, and from Brooklyn, and they, um, you know, they would call him, and you know, they would put their music in his store as well, and things like that. And um, uh, D and Robert had asked Michael Fiscara from the Music Factory. Uh, do you know anybody that you think could front this band paradigm? And um, he right away said, Stephanie Bennett, 100%. Um, so we exchanged numbers. I think they paged me at the time, you know, it was like pager or whatever. Uh, I called them back and we had a really nice talk and I went up to Brooklyn and I met with them and um, we sat and uh, they wanted me to sing a little bit. And I did. Um, and I sang a little bit of, I don't even know what it was just like maybe like an R&B song or just as some type mm -hmm. of a song that was on the radio. And they're like, we really love your tone. I was like, thank you. It was like the first time I ever got a compliment about uh, yes. any type of singing. And it was really nice coming from them because I consider those two. I love, I love D Robert. We used to have deep conversations on the phone back 
in 2000, uh, 2001. Um, I just, I, I, I admired her so much. Yeah, me too. Like right away, I admired her and I was like, wow, this girl is talented, like in all ways, singing, writing, vocal mm -hmm. coaching. And I was like, this is like such a blessing for me. Like I can really grow from here. You know, mm -hmm. I never really, not to blame anybody. I never really felt like um, anybody really kind of took me in and coached me at all. Like I should, I'm obviously I practice and try to learn things myself, but you know, you can only do so much where someone comes right. in and says like, even me as a dance teacher, you know, I teach little kids dance and they might not be as flexible. And I'm like, well, why don't you try flexing your foot first this way, instead of pointing it, you know, to stretch your hamstring. And all of a sudden the kid's like, whoa, they're doing like, you know, leaps across. The so it could be just one minor thing, you know? And I felt like meeting them was that thing that I had always like been craving. And I didn't know it was craving and it was like coaching and understanding. And it was like, they validated me in a way. Um, oh my God, I'm getting upset. <laughs> um, there was like validation there. And so I sang for them a little bit and they're like, we love your tone. And at the time they had the Caprice record, There Goes Your Heart, yes. which was supposed to be mine, which I loved. And they wanted me to, we spent the whole day together, like, listen to it. Uh, you know, we want you to, they left me, they went upstairs mm -hmm. and they came back down. They're like, listen to it, we want to sing you. They came down and I love this song. I was like, there goes your heart, daughter. Loved it. They're like, wow, this is for you. I was like, okay, great. Then I don't know what they did. They always had like little secret, secret talks. Then they came back. They're like, well, we have this other record called Back From My Love. And Dee had already done the ghost boat, whatever, mm -hmm. recorded the, the, the demo. And they're like, all right, we love you on the There Goes Your Heart. I thought it was a great record. Um, and they're like, um, take, take this Back From My Love home and, you know, rehearse it. We'd like you to record it and put your vocals on it. I'm like, absolutely. Like, well, I'm doing it. It's 2000. Yeah. I'm going with Tasmania. Raquel and Adam are like, peace mm -hmm. out. It's 2000, nobody's doing anything. And I'm like, yeah, let's go. So I practiced the song, I came back, I sang it. We recorded it in the basement. It was pretty cool because I've never, they had these techniques like where you would record it like at a slower pace. Like it was like, um, how could you think there was someone else? And then it was like, how could you think that was so? And I'm like, whoa, like this is cool. Like we never did that stuff. Like, you know, in the studio I had gone to, the whole time. And I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. So it was just all these different things. Um, eventually I sang the whole record, D sang on it. I don't hear a lot of my voice on it. Um, maybe it wasn't, it didn't come out great. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I I hear myself on it. I do. Um, but I, 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 your parts, I, I yeah. can tell your parts from these parts. Yeah. They're, they're, they're like, they're kind of sped up, which is kind of cool because I kind of sound like it gives me more of like a baby voice. Like I was like, okay, what am I need to be the baby spice girl now? I, I was willing to do anything different. You know, like I said, I still wanted to be in the game. So I was like, if this is, this is it, let's go. So, you know, I went, so that was done and they did all these amazing mixes and I went and I got like a professional photo shoot and like just things I had never really done before. And they were kind of like investing in me. It was great. And then, it, it, the whole package came together, the vinyl, it was, uh, you know, universal. It was 15 on the billboard in 2000. Yes. It was, uh, it was above, oops, I did it again by Britney yeah. Spears. So the thing with that is it came on the charts fast and it plummeted because, uh, I, this, I could be wrong, but what I was told was, um, if you don't have 50,000 units of vinyl or CDs available to service the retail market, mm -hmm. billboard doesn't 
I think it was through SoundScan or I don't know what it was. That was the same. Dozen chart records that aren't available for retail sale. That was the same that thing correct? that I was told back then. Okay. Um, and uh, you know, because interesting though, she you know, D and I used to have good conversations, and she sent me uh, so many CDs of Back from My Love, so many twelve inch records of Back from My Love. Every DJ that I could find, New England, that would listen to me, I gave him a copy of that. Um, and so, you know, it just became the, the greatest in my time, uh, you know, in, in my opinion, 2000s. I know that Raquel, when it comes to Generation 4, like she's the she's the queen of Generation yeah. 4 with In a Dream and, and, and all those great songs with Adam. Um, but but um, Back From My Love for me, it was the best song uh, of, of, of the progressive Generation 4 era of freestyle. Um, just just amazing. I, I played that song every week for five years straight without miss because I loved it so much. Um, That's and, awesome. And, and I, I just think I just think it's cool that they asked me mm -hmm. to be a part of that. You know, whether I wrote it, I produced it or distributed it, which is what I was always used to doing and what mm -hmm. I'm doing now since, you know, I came back out in 2008 after the Paradigm Project from 2008 to now everything else I've been doing on my own. That was really a really blessing to like have that time with them. And it gave me the, like, I mean, I was, they sent me to Cali for two weeks. You're going to California for two weeks and you're on a paradigm tour. And I was like, and I would be out there. They're like, you're Stephanie Bennett. Like the one that sings, don't let me go. Never too late. They're like, are you singing that tonight too? And I would have to call Dean and I'm like, I gotta sing like the don't let me go. They're like, yeah, if they want you to, mm -hmm. but really pushed the, the paradigm record. So it was like kind of interesting. I was like, who and am it was, I? It was a great <laughs> combination because of the fact that you have built this repertoire. So I wanted to point this out. The same year that Paradigm uh, Back From My Love was released featuring Stephanie Bennett, uh, Hot Productions put out Freestyle Diva, which is- Yeah, I saw that. Which is <laughs> With not, no one's permission or they didn't even tell us. Right, it was a great picture. But <laughs> they, put, they put the entire uh, catalog that you had through Tasmania yeah. on this on this album. Um, and it was because they saw all the buzz that you had received with Back From My Love back then. And so I, they're very sneaky of them to do that, but that was our productions, you know? That was what yeah. they had to do back then. Uh, they went from giving $10,000 checks for, for compilations to $1,000, you know what I mean? Yeah. People still took it. Um, and yeah. Yeah, well, they, know, they gave yeah. me, they pointed me the, the freestyle diva, so that's cool. So, whatever, like, I'm not, yeah. a, uh, you know, I yeah. when I think of diva, I don't think of diva like someone that's like, oh, I'm a diva. I think of mm -hmm. a diva as like Beyonce says. So, you, you went away for a while after the, the, the paradigm featuring Stephanie Bennett. We didn't hear from you for a little while. Um, during that time, you, did you go back to being a mother, go back to school? I did. I, I got married to my on and off boyfriend. <laughs> Uh, we were we dated for like 13 years and we finally got married in 2002 and then I had a sec my second daughter in 2003 mm -hmm. bought a house doing the domestic thing and I was teaching dance like I mean I was teaching dance a lot like that was my prime focus that was my new outlet my new like right. artistic outlet like, I need an outlet for creativity or else I'll I'll go crazy. So I really put a lot into dance, uh, into teaching dance. And as soon as my my second daughter was born, like as soon as she could stand on her two feet, I brought her to dance class with me. I mean, she would be in the corner, and I put a little bandana on her, and she had these little baby cow um, combat boots on, and she would just be in the corner, and she would be rocking like this. 
and we had the CD player with the remote control as dance teachers. So I would, I would change the CD player and I'd put on a faster song. And this kid is like literally like 16 months. And I told my students, I'm like, watch the baby, watch the baby. And I would change the tempo. I put on a new song and then all of a sudden she went from here to like, like musicality was like crazy on like her. Like mother, like daughter. She's 18 now and, uh, you know, she's starting college, but she was Miss Teen Dance. I mean, she's just, her musicality is insane. And I think a lot of it has to do, I mean, with, I did teach hip hop up to, I was two weeks before I delivered her. I don't know when I was, both times when I was pregnant, I didn't feel pregnant. I wasn't endangering them at all. I just, I don't know. I just didn't feel well, pregnant. Well, you, everything that was you is now in them. Cause I see the it's pictures, crazy. the videos, her dancing. Uh, oh, you have and, she's and, very like she has a lot of like musicality in her. It's like lives in her soul. It's it's uh and, the, and those are the things that you should be proud of too because you pass that on and it's something that is within them and it's something that they can carry forward with their children if they ever choose to have some. Yeah, so it's a nice it's, outlet. To, it's, it's, a, it's a great question. thing to do. I remember when you when I first saw you again. I, it was in the early stages of uh, Facebook, right? And and again, you were you were on a show that you were booked for. And the show was on point. I believe it may have been your daughter as your back, uh, your background dancer, um, but you had this great show. And I went on social media and I said, "This is how you are supposed to perform in front of an audience." Because back then, and and still now, we have people that put their cockroach killer shoes on and their church pants, and they go on stage and they they perform without anything, and they're boring. You know, but oh, that's what I was teaching a lot. I, I was teaching a lot of the students. So at that time, I had a lot of access to dancers. I think I had like six dancers. And I think it might have been the Steve O'Neill show in, in Philly. Yes. That was my first time performing. Probably, I just, yes. yeah, I just dropped. I like, so from, from 2000 to 2007, you know, I was teaching dance a lot. And I had my daughter, my second daughter. And I was doing the whole, you know, mom thing and really uh, developing her as, a, as an artistic, like, you know, vessel. Uh, that she embraced um and then i was like i gotta sing again like i'm going crazy so i did the peebo bryson can you stop the rain mm -hmm. and i kind of stole the flow rider riff but i just wanted to get back in the studio because it had been like eight years mm -hmm. and so i started to i just got on facebook too and i saw people doing stuff i'm like whoa 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 wait i need to do stuff too so that was my first time out and i like I said, I've been teaching so many classes at the studio, like different hip hop groups would come in and rent the studio. And I'd see them coming in when I'm leaving. I'm like, yo, who are you guys? And I'm like, hey, do you want to like work on some dance routines? Just have routines. And they're like, yeah, why not? So I would stay late and we would just do dance routines. And yeah, that was the first that was the first show. And after that, I was, it was 2008. I was like, oh, this is great. Um, I, but yeah, um, thank you, though. I, um, I had this great conversation with you at one time. I had to drive to Boston and from from where I live to Boston is an hour and a half. And you called me. And what I recall is you were you you had re-recorded every single thing that you had done for Tasmania and you wanted to pay homage to the DJs. Oh, I and, remember this. <laughs> and and it was, you know, I, I just remember we had an hour and a half conversation. And during the conversation, I said, you know, what did you just call it for the DJs? You said it's for right. the DJs. Duh. I'll call it for the DJs. <laughs> And you did, and and I got this thing in the mail. It's um a packet of CDs of everything you ever did. I still have it. I don't even dare touch them. You know what I mean? I I put them into the computer and I I put them to the side because it was something that you it, it's how you restarted your your career. Like you re-recorded everything you did. Yeah, re-recorded, replayed every part and re-sung every song. No. I even redid the Paradigm record 
in her, what I would consider my voice. Your version of that, the Paradigm record, yes. And you it's said, not as good as that the one that you know yes. Brooklyn Sound Machine did, but but the, the marketing effort was what I wanted to talk about. The fact that you, you put all this together and you send it to DJs one by one and say, Hey, I'm coming back, and this is my stuff. If you don't remember, and, yeah, and um I thought that was brilliant. Thanks. Um, and so you've been working hard since that time to the point where Stevie B took notice. Um, and and uh, Stevie B has talked to me about Stephanie Bennett. And, oh. said, uh, and, and you know, I'm at Walmart talking about Stephanie Bennett with Stevie B. But he tells me how much of a go-getter you are and how he had you, ha he had to add you because of your fire and, and because of, of your, your, that burning desire to, to always do more. And you're always hustling. You're always trying to get it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, <laughs> so he, he took you to Brazil. He did. Uh, I have the banner behind me. Yeah, it, amazing. It's how, about how, eight feet long. <laughs> you want to you share, share how you got there to Brazil? Oh, my gosh. Um, I really don't know. But to me, it was like I went to the Super Bowl of freestyle. Um, yeah. You know, so if I guess I, I say this and that was August 2019. So what do we like um, to um, two years, actually? Right. right. Um, and I said, if I never do anything again, like this is my mm -hmm. this is my freestyle Super Bowl. Um, it was interesting because I, I, I just put out Unlovable mm -hmm. and um, he somehow heard it and he was doing what he remember he was doing those rants for a while, which I yeah. found mildly entertaining. It was, um, it was U-N-L-O-V-A-B-L-E. Yes. And I, I thought it was a great record. I thought I've never heard anybody really spell out a hook like that in mm -hmm. freestyle. But again, you know. Everybody's like, yeah, it's cool. We fuck with it. Oh, sorry, person. I will, I like will give you credit for something. You do songs that stay stuck in your mind because when, when Unlovable came out, that's all I did was I would be talking to people and we'll be joking and then I'll, I'll do the U-N-L-O-V-A-B-L-E and with the get <laughs> it, for some reason, I'm laying in bed and, <laughs> and, and I put on YouTube and I'm like, I'm going to play it again, you know? And you're like, hola, mi gente, que pasa? <laughs> like, you know, and everyone's like, what is she saying? I'm like, it's like Spanish 101, people. Even though I studied Spanish for six years, like, hola, mi gente, okay, uh, hello, my people. Hello, my people like, yeah. You don't have to speak Spanish to know, que right. pasa, like, what's up so, tonight? And, and, like, and you, were, you weren't scared. You weren't scared to take a, to take a, um, a risk. And you haven't been, you've never been scared to take a risk on any of your music, but... How did you end up in Brazil and how was the okay. experience? All right. So anyway, so I did Unlovable and Stevie B was um, as we as we came to find out because he was working on a new album on the DL mm -hmm. and nobody really knew this until he announced the album. But I remember being in Brazil and we were we were at a sound check and we heard the song and I'm like, that sounds like a Stevie B record. Right. I said to somebody, DJ Paradise was there and I Asians have. Him. He's like, it does. And like, what are we listening to? It was like one of the tracks on his album. So it was like making us listen to his album, like on like in a weird sneaky way. Like it was like background music. <laughs> but anyway, um, Unlovable was out and he was um, he was looking for um, music producers and or uh, potential duet partners for his album. At the time, I didn't know. I thought he was just like on a rage about a rant about freestyle and everybody needs to step up their game and this and that. Yeah. Um, and he's he's a brilliant, he's a very brilliant uh, 
business person. Let's just say that. And I wish that people would have taken what he said out of context. Right. Now he made made some great points. And one day I'll have him on here to talk about it, but he made some really great points. And and he talked about the levels of things. What we have now is just a bunch of people that want to come out, put it on social media, never put any, any work like, like Stephanie Bennett has or traveled anywhere or done anything. And now they're superstars and they're on the same level and on par with Trenier and, and Stevie B and, and all the top stars. I, that were in this <laughs> I know it's annoying, but that's the way it is. Nothing's fair, right? Yeah. It's not fair. So, so when he was on one of these rants or whatever, and he was like, Oh, you know, I like that. Um, Stephanie Bennett girl, she's got a nice song out called unlovable. And everybody was like messaging me. And I was like, well, that's so cool. Like, you know, like I was like, you know, 11, 12 years old, making up dance routines to follow your body for the middle school talent show. And anyway, I'm like, yeah, that's cool. I didn't, I didn't hear nothing of it. So uh, like a week or two later, I'm like, yeah, that's really awesome. You know, that's, that's great. Yeah. So a week or two later, I get a message, my Facebook, actually it's a phone call. And I didn't, I was like, it says Stevie B is calling you. And I'm like, and I don't, I, I would, I was like, and like, I just, I didn't know what to do. So I pressed like decline. And then I was like, I didn't know what to do. So it was just weird for me. So I like, you know, brushed my hair a little bit. You know, I just, I look a mess. It was horrible. And, and so then I called, I messaged him back. I'm like, oh, sorry. I pre- I pressed decline instead of answer. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, okay. He's like, so, um, he's like, your song unlovable. He's like, um, I really like it. I want to, I want to sing on it. Right. This is how, this is, this is, I'll try to give you the short version because it's how it leads to Brazil. He's like, I'll give you the short version. And I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm said, I'll give you the short version. I'm like, oh, you do? He's like, yeah. He said, do me a favor, scrub the vocals. He wanted me to send him the vocals stripped completely down, scrub them clean, is what he says. That's an old school term as just, you know. Yeah. yeah. So you scrub them down and and send them to me. And I'm like, oh, like, what? Like, I was. Normally, anyone else, I'd be like, what do you mean? I can't just going to give you my acapella. You know, like, I didn't even question. I was like, fuck it. Like, whatever. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> whatever yeah. he wants with it at this point. And um, so I went down. He's like, I want to sing on. I'm going to do a verse. And I'm just like, holy. So he was, at the time, I didn't know he was looking for stuff for his album. It just, so I, I called Bastrix, the producer of Unlovable. And I said, Stevie B, like, wants to do something with this record. And Bastrix doesn't have any like publishing or royalty. I pay him up front. I right. pay him up front for his stuff. He's always welcome to. And I always, anything blows up. If it, whoever the, the like main producer is on any track that blows up and I don't have any type of a deal with him, they're getting hooked up. Well, he's going to want to come with you anyway. You know what I mean? I hope so. So, so I said, okay. So I sent him the other uh, vocals and the track and he goes, oh, he goes, he goes, who made this beat? And I said, Brian Cruz, he's from Texas. So Stevie thought I was from Texas. He's like, oh, you you, you, you seem a lot because you both live in Texas. I'm like, no, I live in New Jersey. He's like, what? New <laughs> Jersey? He's like, not from Texas? I was like, no. So anyway, I sent him the stuff and um, that was all good. And so I was like, okay, so, you know, whatever, a week or so went by, I get another Facebook call from him. And, um, and he asked me to send him more tracks. Me and Bastrix have, we have like 12 tracks just we're sitting on. Like, I just don't, I don't want to put out too much freestyle music. Mm-hmm. Like at once, I think two a year is good. I like to do a remake in between just for myself. Um, so I, we sent him a bunch of music too. And then he, Stevie B called Bastrix and whatever they were talking and, you know, 
So it was all good for me, Bastrix and Stevie. I was like, this is wonderful. Like we're like being recognized, you know? So anyway, I get a call on Facebook again, like uh, a week later. And he's like, it's Stevie B. And I'm thinking it's about unlovable. Right. And I guess he did a little research on me or whatever, more research. I don't know what happened. Cause I didn't want to ask him, why'd you pick me? That's mm -hmm. stupid. He'd be like, well, you're not going now. <laughs> so he calls, he's like, I answer this time. Um, he's like, you want to go to Brazil? And I was like, and I'm like this. I'm like, yes. <laughs> he's like, all right, I'll call you back. I was like, what the hell? So I get this email from this like travel agent lady that he deals with, with all the particulars. And then, you know, we went over the deal, like when, how much, what I need to do. He wanted me to, he wanted me, one of the, one of the requirements was I was freaking out because I was supposed to go in 1993 with Coro and fascination because Coro and I had the same manager, right. Sal Bonaventuro. And at the time, 93, I was like a year out of college. I was like, I can't, they want me to go for three weeks. Mm -hmm. I had just started a full-time job, like to talk about the sacrifice part. Right. Um, and I was supposed to go then. I'm kind of glad I didn't go then. I'm kind of glad I waited. It was like, you know, all this time later to go with Stevie. Cause it was like, it was just a huge production. Um, so I'm just like, I just said, yes. So then, you know, we were going back and forth and he's like, I, one of the conditions is he's like, I need you to do the Stephanie getaway record. I'm like, she passed away in, in I think 2017. Mm -hmm. I said, I don't mind doing it. She passed away. I'll do it as a pay a homage. Cause that's Brazil loves that record. Right. I said, absolutely. He's like, I need you to sing it for me. So I went into the studio and I just did like a rough vocal, you know, I was like, you know, Lana getaway. he's like, Oh my God, I sound just like her. Blah, blah, blah. And, uh, I was like, okay, cool. So that was good. And then he's like telling me, I was like, well, what's the deal? He's like, you only have eight minutes. I said, I I'm not flying 18 hours by myself for eight minutes. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm not doing it. I said, what about don't let me go? Never too late. Swing my way. This, that, that, that. He's like, we, I just, I just, you don't have eight minutes. I said, I I'm not doing it for eight minutes. He's like, you're not going to go to Brazil. I said, no. I said, I said, I want 22. Right. And he's like, he's like, how about 12? <laughs> I'm like, how about 15? He's like done. So here we are negotiating. I'm not going all the way over there to sing, like basically getaway and don't let me go. Never too late. Like for me, I don't even know what songs I did in my set. I did like a, a, a good amount. I'll never forget you. I did my little show me the way cover. I did back for my love. Mm -hmm. They love that record in Brazil. Like I didn't want to like, you know, sell myself short. Like that's just too yeah. far. So anyway, eventually we started talking a little bit more. He's like, okay. He's like, you can do whatever you want. He's like, I called some people over there and they love you there. So you could do whatever you want in your show tape. So I was like, yes. <laughs> so I, I put this whole tape together and then we had to send, this is so cool. We had to send our show sets to the, like the music director of this called Obale dos Sojos, mm -hmm. which means party of dreams. And this was two months prior to prior to going to Brazil. And I'm like, oh, this is weird. Like, I just like, OK, maybe they want to the whole uh, Brazil. Uh, melody band learned everybody's songs and they played live all the orchestra hits, the drums, the wow. they had. It was crazy. Like we still had our music playing, but then they played all these parts live. It was insane. I was like. When we went to sound check, I didn't know that that's what they were doing. I just thought he wanted everybody, him, you know, one, I thought he just wanted them to have our sets and be organized and, you know, line everything mm -hmm. up. Nope. They were practicing 
all of us. And it was me, NV, Night Asia. Of course, Stevie has all his stuff already. His stuff's done. Like they, yeah. um, it was a lot for the band to do. And uh, so we get down there finally. Like I'm on a plane by myself. This was crazy. Like he wanted to give me one ticket. <laughs> I, like, I couldn't get anybody to go for 10 days with me anyway. There we go about quote unquote sacrifice. Yeah. You know, when somebody's going to like lose their full time job to go running around mm-hmm. Rio de Janeiro with me. Um, so I finally made it there and we went to the sound check and there was like this whole band there and it was like this professional sound and lighting and there's like drones fly. And it was just so cool. Like um, went to the sound check and I like, I, I was like literally screaming in the microphone because I never had been in that type of setup before. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it's sound check. They were like, no, 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 you don't need to do this. And that you, I was like, okay. So it was really cool. So anyway, we did the show. It was amazing. Um, the crowd was like singing every song and they don't speak, they speak Portuguese there. I thought they, mm-hmm. I did think they, yeah, I, exactly. yes. it's a hard language. It's not a very pretty language, but what was so cute about it was they speak zero English, but they know all the songs. So like, for example, I think Never Too Late was their favorite of mine during my set. Cause you, when you're on stage, you know, yes. you know, you can see it, you can feel it. And there's these videos that surfaced when I got back of, people's cell phone videos in the crowd. And so the, I think I have one of them somewhere, but the, um, when Never Too Late came on, you know, everybody's going crazy. And they're like, instead of saying, now if I can look into your eyes, they were like, da, 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 da. Like they were like literally saying da. And they were just like, they weren't saying the words, but they knew the melody. And they mm-hmm. and it was, oh my God, like, I just like something went like through here and then went out of my back. I was crazy and it was amazing. Um, and then we we were on this tour bus and then we had people trying to hijack us and then Stevie kept waking us up every two hours and we had to move hotels. Wow. So we could, it was like a big deal. Like you you thought seeing maybe some Tasmanian people early on was kind of cool. They, it was great. I don't, don't want to skip over the hijack part. <laughs> oh, so, oh yeah, so there, so we were on this tour bus and um, <laughs> and uh, we were going to the next location, which was like Volta Redonda, which is like in the jungle. So the bus, we literally were going around in a circle like this for five hours and on the bus. Can you imagine how annoying? All the way to the next location. And again, the band was on the bus with us. Um, it was just crazy. I, I don't even wow. know. But but they were supposed to be, and I, I, I could be wrong, but they were supposed to be like, there was a lot of footage to be taken. There was a lot of interviews. There was drones. There was supposed to be a, a possibly a Netflix documentary about like bringing music to Brazil. And we really were in the impoverished areas. So Stevie did this incredible thing where he brought, you know, this music to the people that um, really maybe I'm going to say couldn't afford to go, but he gave them plenty of time to get tickets and save up. It's been like, it was like a year in the planning, but it was abs- it was absolutely amazing. But with the hijacking thing, it's just Stevie, like, you know, he's been there a lot. So he knows the whole areas and there's like guys in the front and a car in the back and we're, and we hear something and the bus stops and Stevie gets out and we're, he's like, we're, he's like, okay, the, the, the three guys took care of it. And we're like, <laughs> well, so that there's one point, like, you know, I'd like to go out in the crowd. I wouldn't want to go all the way out there and not interact with anybody or gauge. And the whole point was for me, I was passing out my, social media cards and I wanted people to tag me on footage and I wanted to take pictures with everybody, but it was like high security. Like, so 
Stevie, of all the people there, Stevie told the guys, there's these three guys, like white shirts and black. They didn't even look, they're very unassuming. They didn't look scary at all, but apparently they're like, you know, killers. And I was like, Stevie, I'm going out in the crowd. I didn't come all the way out here. I want to go. This is after I performed. And I was like, I want to go. He was like, you're not going anywhere. I was like, I'm going out there. I was like, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I know you don't want me to get kidnapped. I don't want to get kidnapped either. But I need to just, let me just go a little bit, right? And let me just go and feel it out, right? He's like, he's like, he goes like this. He has some signal or whatever. And these three guys come over. Like, out of nowhere, these three guys appear. And they're like, go with her. Go with her. Go with, she's who's calling me showgirl the whole time. He's, me showgirl. he's like, go with showgirl. He, he said I did a really good job. And I thought that was cute. So he's like, go with her. So I go out into the crowd. It was lit. Like every, have you seen the Brazil line dances online where they have the, the teams, the dance teams? You know, I love that. So they have, they all have their own jerseys, like Danka de Brothers or Brothers of Danka, or they all have these like little soccer jerseys, but they're, they're dance teams. Yes. And these groups of line dancers. So I go out into the crowd and there's like five different dance teams, like pretty close to each other, all doing line dances to whatever inner wow. music they're playing and they're all doing different stuff and it's so easy to pick up you know not saying like for me it was i was just like i jumped in and I, everybody was like ah they're freaking out taking pictures and it was nice nobody was trying to get me or hurt me but i really wanted some photo ops like that's the whole point like you know i'm trying to like make use of this so anyway nobody tried to kidnap me or kill me i was dancing with everybody out there i took pictures it was great i came back i came back where i was supposed to be and um, then these DJs just come up. Like I was with all my vinyl. I swear to God, I was like one vinyl they had of Stephanie, the other artist Stephanie mm -hmm. with the getaway. And some people didn't understand that she had passed away because I said in English, this is, you know, rest in heaven. This right. is, uh, but Steve's like, they don't speak English. He's like, they don't know what you're saying. They think you are Stephanie. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my God. So. I they had all my Tasmania records. I signed them all, and then a, a lot had the Stephanie record, the Getaway, and I, Stevie's like right over there, and I'm looking at him I'm like, I'm like, I don't want to sign it because I'm not her. Right. He's like, you know what he says? He's like, sign the fucking record. <laughs> 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 but I signed it, but I spelled it. I said I put Stephanie Bennett. Mm -hmm. I didn't sign S T E. I didn't say I didn't sign it the way she spells her name. And I was like, they don't know she's dead. Like, they think I'm her. Like, I only did her one song, and I came out with it with a white. I thought I was trying to do, like, an angel costume. Right. And I had flowers in my hair. And I was trying to make it look like I came back from the dead. I don't know what I was doing. I, I would. One, one thing that people can't say about you is that you're not uh, <laughs> no, you're not a person that, that tries to, um, you know, hide from the audience. And they can't say that no. you're creative because you're very Thank creative. You. And, and that's the reason why it was important for us to have this episode, because I want people to understand you launched a record label, Tasmania Records. You you had a catalog with them. You went on your own to create and help assist one of the greatest songs of all time, one of the greatest progressive songs of all time for the fourth generation of freestyle. You came back. You, you, you reinvented yourself. You caught everybody's attention to the point where you needed to be taken to Brazil to almost get abducted and perform for them. <laughs> Um, and now you're back, and now you're back um, doing songs twice a year, um, unlovable to to hard on the run to to um, get it um, against so, all odds. Against all odds remake. Against all odds remake. Yes. Oh, but guess what? Real quick. So Stevie and I never did the unlovable duet, 
and not not, not going to touch on this, but just really quickly, there was a lot of drama with the uh, Against All Odds remix with yeah, one of his what friends. I, what I want to say and about so that, that remake, me and Stevie doing a song together was sidelined because of that individual. So well, that's really heartbreaking for me. So yeah, but you what you have to understand, like Against All Odds have been remade in freestyle since nineteen ninety something, and and it's yeah. a song that it's a song that has been remade by Tamara. It was remade yeah. by um, Mariah Carey. Yeah, a couple other people, but um, you know, my po the point of this of, of of this episode of Unsung is for people to understand because right now people are uneducated in the freestyle community and they don't want to learn anything. Yeah. Um, so the ones that do watch this, they will know what facts are in our freestyle community versus what is something that somebody just made up, put it on social media, you know, so they can get you know clout. And, yeah, I don't. I don't need to steal music or anything like that. I, I, yeah, or ideas. I have plenty of them, you know. So yeah, but everybody, whole, everybody has the right to remake any song that they want because of the fact that it's not yours, anyways. As long as you guys right, it doesn't matter if it was someone else's idea and we went in the studio and spent a bunch of time on it, and then someone ghosts a project. That's not my personality to say, oh, I got ghosted, and that was really the. Uh, oh, let me just forget about it. I, I feel like. That was the first time I really felt like I sang with a lot of calmness because uh, I didn't even look at the engineer when I was singing. I looked in the corner and I was literally picturing my father standing there and my mm -hmm. ex-husband. So I didn't want, I'm not saying the vocals are going to get anybody goosebumps or going to be any kind of vocal award. But for me, it was my most natural uh, experience in the studio, if that makes sense. And I was not going to let that go undocumented. So I went in and redid all the music myself. But the thing with Stevie is I had an opportunity to do a duet and be on his album, but the drama of that situation with the remake, it turned him off because yeah. I, I, I tried to be quiet about it for a little bit, but then, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, at the end of the day, I'm still me. So, you know, uh, yeah, you know, he wasn't into the drama of that situation right. and unfortunately i got i got sidelined you know and it's a shame because you know i was really looking forward to that and you know going to brazil and having that experience and that connection with him we would have been i think we would have been pretty dope at a duet you know it'd been sb and sb you know i he said his sb and i'm like i'll be the other sb then so us having the same initials and that experience in brazil i think it would have been a really magical thing for me more than than him i'm sure but it's all good everything happens for a reason you know so well stephanie i want to thank you for being part of this episode unsung episode uh of cpr's clubhouse live i hope that people um appreciate uh what you've contributed to our community what you have done for this genre of music uh you helped launch uh an entire label that is not anything to sneeze at and I understand that Yonda was the first female to be released on Tasmania Records, but you were the one who put Tasmania on your back and you ran Literally, with my backpack. Yeah, in your backpack, you know, like, hi, my name is Dora. Um, but um, <laughs> For real, I did look like that with the devil on the back. Right. So, so, you know, you. I want to make sure that people understand your, your contributions in the annals of freestyle history, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, your cup of tea, not your cup of tea. Right. We, have to give, we have to give you the credit that you deserve Thank for you. the things that you've done. Um, Thank before you. I go, before I go and uh, we close out this episode, I always leave it up to you to thank anybody that you would like. Um, I thought that uh, uh, before we go, I thought that your um, your your neck tattoo was one of those uh, uh, apps, but I said, oh, this thing, it's beautiful. 
thank you. Uh, yeah, I see it. It looks great. Uh, I don't know. Who, who was the <laughs> artist that did that? Um, it's a um, a local guy that um, can't really say now because he's not like, officially up and operating. Does it on the the DL? <laughs> but well, here in great the job, great job, mystery guy. Thank you. I don't know. I just think it looks pretty. I always like to wear um, something like on my neck anyway, like a choker or some type of a necklace. And I have my whole my arm done here, my sleeve, and I'm working on my other arm. But but um, thank you. I don't know. Yeah. I think I'm having a midlife crisis, but. <laughs> well, what I want to say, too, is if you want to uh, get links to Stephanie Bennett's music, it'll be on the description of this oh, episode. Cool. Uh, Stephanie, um, how would they get in contact with you if they wanted to book you? Um, I usually put it all over Facebook and Instagram and stuff like that, but literally um, through Facebook or Instagram, um, my website's under construction again. I had to get a new provider. Uh, well, I'd like to have my everything just be in my website, like DJ drops, music, mm -hmm. booking. It's almost going to be up live, but um, most people will email me. Um, they have my email, especially all the DJs and promoters. They have it um, right. because I'm always sending out my music and um i have it i always put it on facebook you know so just message me through facebook or um email um my phone number is on a lot of my projects too like my yeah. pictures my cds so you know 1993 to 2021 is a long time but who would you like to thank as we end oh. this, uh, this uh show and this unsung episode of cpr's clubhouse live Okay, it's going to be a lot, but I'll just do like in my head. So Mike Wills, Adam Morano, Robert Federici, Deneen, Raquel, Janelle, DJ Dansky, Dallas, Texas. <laughs> Too many DJs. K-N-O-N, Dallas, Texas. Uh, of course, yourself. Um, Stevie V. Tim Schomer. Kaz, DJ Casio. Um, oh, there's just so many. All my dancers, like there's even sacrifices the dancers make. They come to rehearsals. Rehearsals usually aren't paid, but then I had to start tricking them with, I'll pay your gas and feed you. Please <laughs> come dance. Um, all the dancers, fellow artists. Um, other, like definitely other artists. Um, Gosh, there's so there's just so many. I mean, that's you know, my fellow artists. Well, just, you're good at that then, um, because you have so much more to give, and you have so much more to uh, bring forth uh, <sighs> in your career. It's not like this is uh, the end. Um, this is just the beginning for you. Uh, I don't know. You continue to evolve. My hair. Continue to just get it. You know what I mean? And, <laughs> get it. And, and there's 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 nothing wrong with that. You're a go getter. Um, you reinvent yourself. Um, you're not scared of of being the artist that you are, and we have to appreciate you for that. So I want to thank you for being part of CPR's Clubhouse Live. Uh, again, this is Unsung uh, with Stephanie Bennett. And until next time, it's CPR saying goodbye. And remember, it's not who you love, it's how. Oh, thank you so much. That was fun. Thank you, everybody. The final session, DJ Cliff Posh in the mix.
session. DJ Cliff Plus in the mix. Say you've known her too long And if you follow 